All right. Hello, everyone. How do you want to start this one? Uh, I guess you you can uh you can start because I technically started the last one, even if. Well, I'm going to start the next one though. Okay. Well, we should just start with this weird opening then. Hi, Liz. Hi, Will. Welcome to the Smug Buds. Oh, thank you. Welcome to you as well, and welcome to me. Uh, why are we being so weird about this this opening this week, Will? It's our first joint episode. Our joint episode? Yeah, we've got something to uh, talk about that we uh, share a passion for. And so uh, why should just one of us have ownership over it? It's true. We both have a lot to say on this topic, on a lot of different topics. And mm-hmm. and how, I mean, we sort of are using one word here and it's not totally accurate, but what's the word we're using to describe this episode? I guess we'll use the word grammar. Grammar, yes. And you're going to hear what I am a stickler about, and I am a stickler about many things. Mm-hmm. But one of the advantages of uh, being a person is that you can be selective about what you're a stickler about. You can be lax on other things. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I am not a stickler about is the definition of the word grammar. <laughs> yes, same. So, I, I mean, I will say there's one thing. I'm going to be talking about fonts at some point. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that in no realm falls under grammar. Nope. <laughs> But you may have, you, not you, Liz, but you, the Gosling, may have a precise, accurate, correct definition of the word grammar in your head. And you might say, oh, they're not talking about grammar. They're talking about uh, syntax in this case mm-hmm. or uh, punctuation or it, that's all my definition of grammar, as inaccurate as it may be, is just like rules having to do with language yes and that's what i mean by that and i'm guessing you as well and yes and i and and i'm also going to be talking about things that like so i'm an editor by trade like that is my official title of my job and i am an editor by hobby and so um and we were we're both we've as we've established um writers with writing degrees yes multiple writing degrees four between the two of us yes not for each, though. <laughs> right. Multiple each. Yes. Four total. Yes. Two each. Yes. And um, I'm going to be talking about things that affect me as an editor, too. Mm-hmm. So that is a is my sort of umbrella that I'm looking at. And can, yeah. I, can I tell you I'm actually – I'd like to dedicate this episode. Oh, wow. Interesting. I mean, you can dedicate it to somebody if you want, but – I'm going to think about that. I'm going to dedicate this episode to my co-editors, Claire and Laura. Oh, how nice. Also, I feel like they will maybe feel obligated to listen to the whole thing if I dedicate it to them. Well, it's a clever bit of trickery. (laughs) Well, I could maybe dedicate this episode to my family, and uh, maybe that's a good segue for me to get into how I wanted to start this episode, which is uh, just, uh, you know, I, I like to start with context. Oh, yeah. And the context for me talking about this topic is uh, something that I think of as like kind of an origin story that I've crafted for myself. Mm-hmm. Because like um, I've never been to uh, therapy, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in the absence of professional help, <laughs> um, I've created really my own. Really relied on commas. 
I, 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 I've created my own narrative uh-huh. for like how I got this way. Uh-huh. And uh, anyone might do that naturally. I've done it with some pressure, I think. Okay. I've, I, I've heard people say to me enough times, either like, why are you like this? <laughs> or talk normal, like just talk normal. That I have had to question, like, okay, like. <laughs> oh, you know so, what? I get. Are you talking about the fact that you sort of? I, I is the criticism that you sort of sound like. Like I'm putting official? on airs. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I guess I did used to think that about you, and, and I don't anymore. And now you've known me for ten plus years. <laughs> it took at least three years, though. I guess. And you've like you've never seen the mask drop, <laughs> and so you've come to accept what other people have not accepted about me, which is that it's not a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I am like truly just like with some effort trying to communicate as best I can, mm-hmm. but the effort is not to disguise like something that I'm avoiding being. It's it's just, I'm just I'm trying to. Be impeccable with my my words. I'm now I'm now remembering this actually. Like I'm remembering this being a thing in college. Thank you. And I remember I don't know if somebody said this to me. I don't I don't remember where this is coming from, but I remember at some point somebody saying or me somebody saying something to me and me perhaps saying this as a comparison. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. That you sounded like an academic paper, but all of the time. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that's fair. (laughs) And I do remember one of the few times that we had a class together. It's a class that's actually come up on the podcast before, the contemporary poetry class. Yeah, yeah. And we all had to do like presentations. Uh uh, And I... um, Either I overprepared or almost everyone else underprepared. <laughs> Story of my life, man. Well, yeah, I just, mine kind of like stood out. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little longer. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. I dressed up a little bit more, literally. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I've had to consider like, okay, what are they picking up on? Like, and how did I get this way? Yes. And also, it's not just my choice of words or like the pace at which I speak, but like also this, like the sound of my voice. Like, like most people who meet me, they're surprised that I'm from New York City. Oh, yeah. You don't have I, a, you know, yeah. uh, you don't sound aggressive. <laughs> well, it's not just aggression. And <laughs> some people, I think, would say, I do sound aggressive. <laughs> And they have said that. Yeah, but in a different way. More passive aggressive than not in a I'm afraid you're gonna shove me way. Well, yeah, probably. Um so uh I I like to think that instead of a New York accent, I have the Hoffacker accent. I, I don't know <laughs> how else to like explain it. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in New York. Uh I've got Hoffackers on my father's side of the family, hence the name. <laughs> and then I've got uh, my mother's side of the family who lives closer and we spend more time with. Okay. And uh, what was I? Oh, I'm an only child, right? Oh, yeah. But my parents are pointedly not only children. Mm-hmm. My father has two brothers. Okay. And my mother has 
more siblings than that. Oh, wow. Like more. So, Un- an uncountable amount. So so that means that I have a lot of aunts and uncles mm-hmm. and they have a lot of children. I have a lot of cousins. Uh-huh. And th- uh, my aunts and uncles, most of them got started having children before my parents did. Uh, so they're older. I have a lot of older cousins. Mm-hmm. So in the absence of my own brothers and sisters, uh, I grew up uh, interacting with uh, my older cousins. Uh, and the, the, the youngest of those older cousins was like uh, four-ish years older than me. Mm-hmm. And... So the origin story that I've crafted for myself for like why why it's not just grammar it's mm-hmm. like it's like what my brain latches onto and like why I like the things that I like and why I want to talk about the things I want to talk about the way that I've framed it mm-hmm. is as a little kid being with family which we work pretty often mm-hmm. Meant like being around these older kids and like wanting to be a part of that group and fit in with them and be accepted by them. Mm-hmm. But I was too young to be anything but really a nuisance to them. Mm-hmm. And they reminded me of that. So you had to lift yourself up. So, yeah. So I, I became like, okay, like, like, following their example yeah and trying to be accepted by them and being rejected a lot uh-huh my f- aspirations became okay there are two things that th- that are the best things that you can be mm-hmm. they are funny and smart yes in that order uh-huh and for a kid like the easiest gateway to being seen as smart uh-huh. is like you talk right. Right. Yeah. And you write well. Uh-huh. And you have your articulate mastery over language. Uh-huh. In school, uh, I was uh going to a, a private uh Catholic school mm-hmm. and you rather sure than were. In- Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, for a while. And rather than English class, this is um uh, elementary school I'm talking mm-hmm. about here. This is K through Oh, not eight. your very fancy school. Not the very fancy high school. Um, in K through eight, rather than English class, we had two classes. One was reading and the other was LA or language la- arts. Language arts. That's uh-huh. right. Did you have language arts? We just had only language arts, oh, which okay. also encompassed, yeah, reading and yeah, mm-hmm. language arts, social studies. Yes. Words that we don't use after elementary school right yes so la was my favorite subject Uh i just uh took to that very naturally and this is the class in which you would learn like the parts of speech Mm -hmm. and like verb tenses and like the mechanics of language right Mm -hmm. so i picked up on that stuff quickly and i liked being good at it Mm -hmm. and i was told uh throughout those years that i was an exceptional uh writer uh, so all of that sort of culminates in like, now I'm like 18 or 19 years old or something like that. And I'm sitting 
at a bar that I shouldn't be at. Yep. With a very good friend of mine mm-hmm. who I am uh, not in touch with anymore, uh-huh. but who I grew up with uh-huh. and who was a very uh, influential figure. And I'm sort of like in the beginning of my like off to college phase. Uh-huh. And uh, I it, it feels like I'm sort of being seen off by this friend and role model who... Uh, uh I would later have a falling out with not that much later uh-huh. and uh and he says to me, he basically says like I think like you're gonna be all right, like I think that you turned out well uh-huh I think uh you've got this figured out, you just have to cut it out with you just have to cut out all that who and whom crap." <laughs> And in my defense, by that point, I was not using that anymore. Uh-huh. Like, yes, that was like recent, but that was in my mind, that was in the rear view. Like, yeah. I was not telling people any longer, like, when they should be using whom, when yeah. they had said who. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the context I wanted to provide. That's the origin story in a nutshell. That is yeah. not only, like, uh, the baseline for my relationship with grammar and language but it's also like you know i have like a trivia brain right like Mm -hmm. that's that's also my explanation for like why i latch on to like the the details in like the media that i consume Mm -hmm. and why why i'm like a, a a trivia nut and stuff like that is because like that's an easy gateway to like seeming like a smart person yeah and like smart and funny are like the gateways to like being socialized and and well liked and i think we talked about this a little bit in um the game the tabletop games episode Mm -hmm. and that trivial pursuit seems like a smart man's game yes and then you grow up Mm -hmm. and uh you start to separate trivia from like knowledge and wisdom and actual intelligence and mm-hmm. in all its various forms and skill i feel like skill skill yeah yeah and it wasn't until i got to grad school that i learned some lessons that i was like totally unprepared for yeah <laughs> that like college had like not given me uh-huh and and as you know, I went straight from undergrad to a master's program. Mm-hmm. And it was like I sort of had to grow up quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you actually graduated from your master's program before I did. Yeah. Did did you have a two-year or a three-year program? I So I took, I took a year. I was yes, forced yes. to take a year and then right. it was a three-year program. So you yes, right. then graduated the year before I did. Right. So I got – to my master's program and I was there on a teaching assistantship Mm -hmm. and I was going to, uh, you know, have my tuition paid for because I was going to be working for them teaching composition classes, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a new concept to me. And then the program there, uh, they had come up with a new curriculum Mm -hmm. that they were like, my group was going to be like the first group to be teaching this new curriculum to freshmen at the university. And the curriculum was called writing about writing. Mm. And it was 
basically, I would characterize it as, I guess, traditionally, composition classes have been like, you could really teach it about anything because mm-hmm. you can teach writing while you're writing about anything. Mm-hmm. And so it might be just like whatever the teacher's specialty is. Yeah, my comp class was based around food waste. Food waste? Ways. Wait, what ways? <laughs> food ways. Food ways? Food ways. Is that a phrase? Yeah, man, I didn't make it up. Oh, food the- ways. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. We're digressing into this. Our gossip. Like it's a composition class about like what different kinds of food weigh. Oh, my God. Like okay, you I'm, put like a grapefruit on a scale just, and then write about this, it. I could have described this, but for the sake of succinctness. Mm-hmm. In social science, food ways, one word, F-O-O-D-W-A-Y-S. Thank you. Are the cultural, social, and economic practice, practices relating to the pro- production and consumption of food. Food ways often refers to the intersection of food in cultures, traditions, and histories. So, for example, Mm. in my folklore class, which I took for a first year of grad school, we read a book called Clam Bake. Clam Bake was about New England clam clam bakes, and it had multiple chapters. It's a, it's an incredible book. Um, one chapter was dedicated to sort of the history of clams and how they became, cause clams used to be thought of as like trash food, like something you wouldn't eat. Yeah. Um, there was one dedicated solely to, um, actually all of the foods and how they're cooked during the day of a clam bake. Um, there was one that was related to, uh, how the the traditions of a clam bake being passed down between different generations. I get the picture. Yeah. Food ways. Okay. I learned what food, food ways means. Yes. I, I If you asked me before, I would have said, I think that that's the name of a grocery store. <laughs> but my so, point being, yes, I, yes, I could have had that class about yeah, anything. And mine was about food ways. The composition class model that I was describing. Yes. The new model that I was entering I would characterize it as, uh, well, we who study rhetoric and composition uh, have all these academic articles about how it is taught and learned. Oh, no. What if we just cut out the middleman? No. (laughs) And started teaching in the class what we write about how to teach the class? Yeah, but nobody cares about that, right? Least of all me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no. just, just, I mean, for the, the sake of comparison, like, I wrote my class around foodways because, um, everybody had some relationship with food. Wait, did you teach this class or yeah. you took? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I thought you were describing a class that you took. No, I also took a class in folklore, um, okay. that we read about clam bakes, but I was just using that as an example. Mm. Um, okay, now we, now I'm up to speed. But yes, th- so like in my in my class, you know, they start by writing a personal narrative about a food they sure. did when I was teaching it. So mm-hmm. that was a way that they had like um they could just ri- it was a way they could write something, but sort of had to have an arc. But then they ended with a uh, like a full research paper on a a food topic. In the class that I was expected to teach, one of their writing assignments was to write a- an investigative paper about a discourse community. That sounds like uh, hell. 
So this is a good time to remind you, uh, as you might not need reminding, that um, although you and I both got our master's, you and I have different master's degrees. Yes. You got your MFA. Yes. As everyone in our discipline is supposed to. No. And <laughs> No. And, uh, and, and not everybody has to get an MFA to be a writer in the- our group of writing people. Of Not course. just like any sort of writer, but like in terms of like a fiction writer or a poet or something. Of course. I was I was not meaning to uh exclude anyone else. Uh, just to from... to just to disparage yourself. I was trying to be self deprecating, <laughs> uh and I was just making a comment on, you know, the way that the track is laid. Yes. Uh and uh uh I didn't follow that track exactly. I, I rather than getting an MFA, I got an MA. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my MA, uh, which I was going to for creative writing, yes, with some other creative writing people, mm-hmm. in some ways we were thrown in with the people who were there to get their MA and their PhD mm-hmm. or their PhD, yes, in uh, uh, one of the other uh, disciplines in the braid, uh, that is uh, literature or ret comp. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was a very ret-comp-heavy ret uh, curriculum. And uh, while it was uh, difficult to teach, uh, it was also uh, challenging to me as a student in ways that uh, I am grateful for. Mm. Uh, because I got to learn it like it wasn't until grad school mm-hmm. that I learned a a term like, for example, standard white English. Yes, absolutely. And so it wasn't until I was getting my master's that I was really exposed to uh, the uh, reality that uh, there's uh, a lot of. Uh, racism and classism Mm -hmm. inherent in a behavior that I had made very regular. Yeah. Which is correcting people's in enforcing the rules. Yes. Because I had it in my head that like, you know, not that the rules are like dogma and they always need to be followed. Like Mm -hmm. I was never like, totally absolutist about it but i did have the notion that like well they're they're the rules of english Mm -hmm. and uh and that's and that's that's the form you know that's that's you know to follow those rules is like the epitome of of english yes well and also rather than rather than my new understanding Thanks to some stuff that I saw in grad school, which is that it's it's one version of English and it's it's the gatekeeping form of English. Right. And and also when you're a young person trying to impress a bunch of older people, the closer you can be to proving to them that, you know, something that they don't Mm -hmm. means that you're going to you're going to chase that little rabbit right down the hole. And I absolutely did rabbit. Yes. And I did. And, uh, I <laughs> was not, uh, I, I, it was not getting me any closer to my goal of 
being liked and accepted. <laughs> it's a little misguided. But um so yeah. So I learned about things like standard white English, like mm-hmm. code switching, mm-hmm. like uh African American vernacular 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 English. Yeah. Uh that's what AAVE stands for, isn't it? Yeah, I think isn't so. It? Yeah. Uh and uh so now you know, okay, th- to to talk about grammar on the podcast, like this is the epitome of like what the smug buds could, would, should be, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you and I are going to host a podcast about anything and be smug about it, like this is our this is our wheelhouse. Yeah, but we didn't go to that well in the very beginning. We didn't cover that in cold and flu season. Uh huh. Partly because I'm hesitant to, because I don't want to come off the way that I used to. Yes. That, like, I think that these rules are, like, important and that, like, they need to be enforced. hmm In fact, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk about it despite. <laughs> yes. I, I want to make it clear that I have an understanding that, like, there's a time and a place and like there's you know and other people are brought up with other forms of english and those mm-hmm. forms of english are not less than yes in spite of that i'm st- i still have my programming in me and uh-huh. and as as much as i'm conscious of fighting it like it it's turning the wheel is like it's like turning like an 18 wheeler like it's mm-hmm. it i can't just make a sharp right turn into like i don't care about that anymore <laughs> it's, well it's like, and also uh, like you you can't like emotionally i can't practically because it's my job mm-hmm. right so uh yeah i've uh i've i've got some pet peeves and they're not the same as the pet peeves that I always used to have. I've sort of evolved some new ones. Uh, speaking of which, can I actually read to our goslings the original name of this? Yeah. So we, I, we've mentioned the sort of Excel spreadsheet we have with, um, ideas for episodes. And Will's, uh, name for this episode is, <laughs> uh, his original idea was, I stopped correcting people's grammar because I'm mellowing out. And I'll also, I learned that enforcing the rules of standard white English is bigoted. But I have some new pet peeves, and here they are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, in a nutshell, what I want to talk about. And you should have as much to say about it as I do, because, like you said, it's your job. It is. So, um, where do you want to dive in? Um, can I start with that that little Tumblr Tumblr post we had a yeah. back and forth about this week? So Go I just want to say that Will pointed out very well that this post was mischaracterizing this as this being the first time this has happened. This is not this event that I'm about to describe the first time that this has happened. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's a good example of why. Um, you know, something I always say at my job is, you know, language is alive, it's living, it's changing constantly. Um, rules are dying and rules are being created. Right. And, um, what's interesting to me and something that I like to sort of use as a baseline is not that necessarily that things are right and wrong so much as that there are style guides. Yeah. Which is like a rule book, but there it's, are it's, different style guides. It's all about context, right? Yes. Which is why code switching is like a useful concept. Yes. Because like, depending on your context, like the rules are different. 
Yes. The and, expectations are different. It, like context is also audience. Like if we, you're communicating, you must have an audience and the audience has certain expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's a set of rules. Absolutely. Yes. And then to be consistent within that set of expectations is useful because it's more useful to be able to convey your meaning. And one of the ways you can convey meaning is through consistency. Right. Than it is through something being like purely and technically right, whatever that means. So like mm -hmm. even within my company, we have like multiple style guides that are sort of Matryoshka dolled. Like we have one in my very mm. small department. The one in my very small department actually even has two halves to it. Mm. Um, we have then like a larger departmental style guide. We then have a corporate style guide and then we use AP as our sort of mother style guide. Interesting. Um, and then on top of that, we use um, Webster's New, Co New Collegiate Dictionary okay, as like a source. Okay. But that said, so this was a Tumblr, Tumblr post that I saw like screenshotted. Mm -hmm. And somebody uh, named, whose name is Rail, R-A-L-E. Would you say that, Rail? Sure. Says, it's kind of cool how our generation has created actual tone in the way we write online. Like whether we write properly with purple grammar and it says shorthand everything, but that has like a bunch of letters taken out. Use capitals to emphasize the point, which is capitalized. Use extra Not letters. Not all caps, though. No, just uh, title caps. The T caps. and the P. Yes, title caps. Like it were a proper name. Yes. Uh, use extra letters or characters for emotion, and it has a bunch of exclamation marks, and much more. It means we can have casual conversations, effectively make jokes using things like sarcasm that's usually hard to understand without context, and much more. It's this incorrect English, which is in quotes, has really opened avenues of online conversation that isn't accessible with correct English, which is in quotes, which is pretty interesting. And then somebody has a bunch of tags, like the Tumblr hashtag tags mm -hmm. uh, that says, uh, hashtag, this is why attempts by the media to portray online communication by millennials really frustrates me. Hashtag, because there are rules, okay, the R is capitalized. Hashtag, like, see, that's different than saying there are rules, lowercase r. Mm-hmm. And then another person, that was by Masked Linguist, and then another person said, uh, named Diabolical Mastermind said, my class and I literally taught some of the nuances of this to our English teacher, things like the difference between yes without a period and yes with a period in, like, text message is what's being implied here, or mm -hmm. uh, an ellipsis with two dots and an ellipsis with three dots. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and technically the two one is an ellipsis, but I see there right. we're being smug. Um, yeah. it makes perfect sense linguistically that we would create this complexity to ease communication in a medium without body language and tone. But what my teacher was really floored about was that none of this we have, or none of this had, none of this had ever learned it. I think it's, they're trying to say none of us had ever learned it. We are native speakers of a whole new type of English. What they're trying to say is that None of them had ever been taught it yes. in, in, in the way that we usually mean by taught, which is mm -hmm. like instructed. It, uh, like they learned it, you know, by doing it, yes, by, because, by being exposed to it. Because even, even um, you know, the written language that we're talking about, a lot of that uh, we learn or a lot of people learn in school. Yeah. So I have a question that I didn't ask you by text message when we were talking about this screenshot. Yes. Would, would you just reread the first sentence of the first post? Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool how our generation has created actual tone in the way we write online. Right. Okay. So my question is, what assumption do you make about that writer's age? 
And like, what generation do, do they mean? So I think that they mean, that's a great question. Because when I read it, uh-huh. my first thought was, I'm of the generation that this author is also a part of and that they're talking about. I think that they're probably a little bit younger than us. They're Gen Z. But I think that they're um, probably not that much younger than us. Like, I think that they're mm-hmm. probably 20 and we're, you know, essentially 30. They could be like 12. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the main difference – so something um, I've been thinking about a lot recently uh, because we've been talking – something we've been talking about – they've been using the word millennial at work a lot and I've – keep having to correct people because they've been referring to college students as millennials. Mm-hmm. And while five years ago that was true, um, most traditional college students, so when I say traditional, I mean people that graduated from high school and went straight into a four-year degree. 18 to 22-year-olds. Are no longer millennials. Um, right. It's like the very, you know, hypothetically, they're right on the cusp. But yeah. um, And then the older millennials are like, you know, in their late 30s now. Right. And I think next year is the year that they'll be 40. So a lot of the people, when they're talking about my millennials, I'm like, you're a millennial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, stop but- talking about this generation that doesn't exist. But the thing that, that's strange about us is that, like, I always had a computer in my house and I always had the internet. Right. But yes. I didn't always have, of course, social media, which is like this sort of. That the, the, I think the the internet is, is the key to this yes. conversation. Because, like, what those people on tumblr are writing about Mm -hmm. it to me they mischaracterize it like it's a gross mischaracterization in my mind to say like our generation regardless of how old that person is (laughs) 12 or 35 yeah to say our generation invented actual tone in (laughs) written language is like okay sure oh yeah oh yeah right but but what they're Actually, I think it says it says in the way we write online. It says online, not uh, in language. Mm, okay, it's it's still. I think they're still missing the point. Okay, okay, because I th- I feel like the tone of those posts is like young people like patting themselves on the back for like we cracked the code. Like uh-huh. we're the f- we're the first ones to think of. Uh, using punctuation marks <laughs> to well, mean different things when like what's actually interesting and new mm-hmm. is the internet mm-hmm. and how the internet has put so many people in direct communication with each other yeah that new conventions uh-huh. that like the the rate at which new conventions are widely accepted uh-huh. is like wildly accelerated from what it used to be right okay yeah like that's that's what's new and interesting well and not, I, I think not, the other not thing that, like not that like oh that what they can do with language is new but like just the 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 examples of it and the, right and how quickly they're they're used and accepted and 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 uh you know conventional Yes. I think also, like, I feel like the complexity of, uh, how can I say this? 
I think that something that might look almost exactly the same could have six iterations that all mean slightly different things. Yeah. Um, in a way that maybe, um, was not totally true in the past. And mm. yes, that goes to what you're saying too. Um, but just like, like I just think about like whenever I type things and don't end them with periods on Twitter. <laughs> I just have this, like, I know that I'm supposed to read it in this very flat tone. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, I think that that's very clear also when other people use that. that. But just adding the period changes the whole tone of that. Mm -hmm. But then, again, you know, adding in the very, the different sorts of, like, capitalization changes the tone too. Um, And I think... That all goes to what you're saying. Like, that's all understood because people are communicating a lot faster. So they're picking up on all these things a lot faster. So right. it's becoming a convention a lot faster. Yes. Um, but but I a, think in a way where if you, if you are not, you know, if you, if perhaps you're a little older. Yes. Or perhaps you have less access to technology for some other reason. Yes. Uh, if, if you're of one of those demographics, uh-huh. you, you, you might not understand yes you know basically like there's like a bunch of like language memes right yes like every like weird punctuation that you know doesn't seem like it fits the rules that we know and that we're taught in school Uh it's all like you know the way that a meme becomes popular yeah it's like oh okay everybody understands that like new form of language and anyone who hasn't seen that meme before is like i don't get the joke like well, why and i i also wanted to bring this up specifically because i've had conversations with people one person in particular who has said something i hate about the internet is it makes people's grammar worse right and that my kids when they learn to write from the internet they're learning it wrong and then i have to keep correcting them mm-hmm. and my point was I had two points. My first was that, well, it's not that it's wrong necessarily. It's just not standard English in the way that you'd prefer it to be. Yeah. And also that the internet has allowed for people whose writing you never would have seen to be available. Yeah. So basically saying it's, as we know, the internet is hypothetically supposed to be the great democratizer. Mm-hmm. And my argument was that... um I'm sure that there were plenty of people who were writing with poor grammar before. Yeah. But you either they weren't writing because they weren't writing letters. They didn't have any reason to. It wasn't how they could connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Or you weren't seeing it. And so you're you're presenting this as if it's a problem because of the internet. Whereas right. I'm saying you're just being exposed to it more more because of the internet. Slash, these people are having opportunities to write that they never would have had otherwise. Right. And again, it's, it's all to me in my mind, it's all about context. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, you, if you were raising a kid and they spent a lot if of time online, you know, hypothetically, <laughs> if you, Liz, were raising a kid <laughs> and they yeah. spent a lot of time online and they learned, you know, the, the language conventions of a Twitter or a Tumblr mm-hmm. and then that became their primary form of written communication that they then took to school yeah. and got poor grades on their assignments, then like, yeah, you would, you would be upset and you would think like they're 
you know, the way they're writing is wrong. Right. They're, and they're, they're learning bad grammar. And like, that is true enough. It's just an oversimplification of the slightly more accurate reality that they are applying what is right in one context to another context, context where it's wrong. Yeah. And your kid probably to be successful as we are made to define success mm -hmm. needs to learn the way that you're supposed to write when you write a resume. Yes. Standard white English uh, is, is I also think of it as job interview English. Yeah. It's like, if if it if it is necessary to learn it and teach it in schools, it's because it's a very useful, widely used, persuasive, e easy, easy yeah. gate gatekeeping mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's just the quickest and easiest thing in the world to go through a stack of submissions of one kind or another, you know, yeah. resume, application, whatever. Mm -hmm. Spot an error. Mm -hmm. and go, this person's not as qualified as yes. the first one that I find that doesn't have any errors. Yeah. So and for that reason... Unless that resume is specifically for an editor, <laughs> right. that is probably not a legitimate way to be right. sourcing them. It's not good. It's not right. It's not legitimate. But it's easy and it's yes. going to be done. Yes. And for unless that, it's for a position that is an editor, in which case I think it's a very legitimate way to judge yes, somebody. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, fair. Yes, that's that's fair enough. But um, the fact the 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 unfortunate reality mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of gatekeepers to success, and by success I mean survival. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and uh, those gatekeepers will you know simplify their job mm -hmm. as much as possible by using uh mechanisms like standard white english mm -hmm. so while while we're talking about that can i do some like rapid fire things that bother me yeah yeah i'm Go looking at the time and i want to make sure i get to my real pet peeves here yeah me too <laughs> you you go ahead okay so here's my first one mm -hmm. uh Semicolons are not hard. Right. Um, do you, you know how many uses there are for a semicolon? Um, I'm saying, and I'm saying here like standard, standard uses, not create, not, um, when I say creative, not, um, uh, uses that might be to create some mm -hmm. sort of effect that I, yeah. is like, uh, specific to a text. I can think of two off the top of my head. That's exactly correct. There are two. Right. It, it, it is as easy for us as as understanding what an independent clause is. Well, yes, because that's what you need to know to be able to. <laughs> and you don't even need to know necessarily that it's called an independent clause. Yes. You basically just need to know what a verb is. Yeah. And if you can recognize a verb. Or a complete sentence even. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Then you then you can understand when a semicolon would be inappropriate so or the, appropriate. So the reason that this is a big pet peeve of mine is because commas are actually very difficult. Yes, commas are They're difficult. Versatile. 
Yes, because they're versatile. I think I, – I can't actually say that this is 100% true. My um sophomore year English teacher, teacher said that there were 10 different rules for commas. Sure. And so, uh, like, 10 different uses. Um, what makes commas difficult is that not only are there, let's say, 10 uses, let's just say for the sake of argument, 10 uh-huh. versus 2, but yeah. they overlap. Yes. So one comma could actually be performing multiple rule-based functions. Yeah. Semicolons have two uses, and here they are. One, they connect items in a complex list. What mm-hmm. does this mean? This means that if you have a list, usually you separate the items in that list with commas. But if the items themselves have commas in them, it can be confusing to use more commas to separate the items because then you just have a bunch of commas everywhere. Mm-hmm. So for an example of this would be sunny, beautiful Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, hot, dry Tucson, Arizona, and uh, cold and clammy Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So in those items, there's going to be multiple commas. And so you want to separate the items in those lists with semicolons. Yep. It's a stronger divider. And yep. so that way you know what goes where. Yes. The second use for a semicolon is purely uh optional. It is to connect two independent clauses that are stronger by being with each other. You can always put a period in between and have the sentences be correct. You do not. This is a uh, common um misunderstanding you do not need there does not need to be a however after the semicolon Mm -hmm. that was something that a lot of people think that's not true semicolon however comma is something that i had a history teacher an american history teacher in high school that is a phrase that he would sometimes say out loud (laughs) semicolon however comma (laughs) now i do know about my tattoo will yes of course, because you've known me for my whole life. That's not true. <laughs> you've known me since I've had this tattoo. I got this tattoo months before I met you when my uh, ex-boyfriend broke up with me. Cool. Um, I have a semicolon tattoo behind my right ear. Mm-hmm. And I got it uh, many years before the semicolon project, which I will not get into right now. Uh, that, But I will – except to say that I uh, do not have my semicolon for that reason. Yep. And – um. Because I feel that good relationships are two independent people that are stronger by being with each other. Mm -hmm. And so this drives me nuts. Semicolons are not hard. If you feel like you want to use a semicolon and it's – you need to ask yourself this question. Am I dividing things in a complex list? Are there two independent clauses that are stronger by being with each other? Right. If the answer is no, then don't use a semicolon. The Mm -hmm. end. Yeah. And the way that I – so there was a part of the curriculum that I was supposed to teach in grad school where one of the articles was about punctuation and how mm-hmm. we teach it. And basically, the lesson boiled down to like understand the different punctuation marks that you could use and understand them as like degrees to which you can connect the things – that are on either side of the punctuation. Yes. And you could conceivably have a good reason for using, say, a semicolon when it would not be correct. Mm -hmm. In the example that I would use 
I would write a sentence um, with two independent clauses, like no punctuation. Yeah. And I would, uh, and the sentence would be something like, Bruce Wayne heard sirens outside. He ran to the window. Mm-hmm. And then I would sort of demonstrate like, okay, like let's go through like each of the possibilities, including the ones that are like incorrect. Uh-huh. Like one possibility is like a period after sirens and then starting a new sentence. Like that's the most separation. Yes. And then a semicolon between them. And then an M dash between them. Ooh, we're also going to talk about those. And then a comma between them, which uh-huh. would be technically incorrect. Yes. Unless you put a conjunction uh-huh. after the comma. Yes. But you may not want to do that if you want to convey like a sense of urgency. Yes. Because as I would say to my students, I don't know how many of you know this, but Bruce Wayne is Batman. <laughs> This is the kind of teacher that I was for two oh, years. Oh, a good one. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. Yes. And of course, when I'm talking about using semicolons here, again, I'm talking about using them. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to use them in a way that if is we, going to be grossly yes. uh, accepted. Me too. If we are talking about our pet peeves, then we are talking about the quote unquote rules. Like yes. Capital T, capital R, the rules. Yes. Which we know are sort of bullshit, uh-huh. but we've got editor brains, and yes. so we're going to have pet peeves like this. I have, I know, I know. Technically, we should go back and forth, but can I just bring up the end dash thing since you brought it up? Because this one's very quick, actually. Can I bring up something quick that's related to your thing? Yeah, sure. Just while we're talking about uh, lists uh-huh. and uh, how commas divide items in a list. Yes. If you're writing a list like that. Go ahead and use an Oxford comma. Oh, please. That's the comma that comes before the conjunction. Please. Also known as the serial comma. There's one good reason I know of Uh to leave it out. Uh And that is you work for the newspaper. Oh, yes. And it every blotch of ink matters. Uh Uh-huh. Because everything's printed still. If every blotch of ink matters and, and, and <laughs> you need to conserve space and money, mm-hmm. then you are expected to leave out that comma. Mm-hmm. In any other context, go ahead and use that Oxford comma. So, so, uh, I have a note on this too, which is that, so as far I as I I don't want to talk about Sam. Huh? If that's where you're going, I don't, I don't want to talk about Sam. Who's Sam? Sam Martone. Oh, bless him. I don't know. That's not what I was going to say. You've engaged in this argument with him. I've seen it on Twitter. I have? It's one of my 300 liked tweets. You only have 300 <laughs> liked tweets? God, I give out likes like I give out hugs. I think I have 298 Indis- right now. Indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. God, now I feel like every tweet you've ever liked of mine is even more special. As you should. <laughs> the thing that I was going to bring up is... Something I always argue with uh, my boss about mm-hmm. uh, is she was gr- she grew up in newspapers. That's not exactly correct, but <laughs> you get my, what I mean. Like Moses going down <laughs> the river. She grew up in newspapers. <laughs> yeah, a small bassinet of newspapers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for her, the Oxford comma has never been necessary. Right. Except for when it is. Sure. And... My point is, it's a tiny thing and it's always clear, so why not use it? But 
this is my point into if you're looking at rule books, right? If you're looking mm-hmm. at style guides, every major style guide that I know of uses the Oxford comma. MLA, Modern Language Association, Chicago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, APA. Yep. The only one that the American Psychological Association, that's APA, right? Yep. The only one that doesn't is AP, Associated Press. Yes. Which is the one that newspapers use. Newspapers, yes. <laughs> and this is the thing that's so frustrating about it is because mm-hmm. if you're looking at usage across the board, everybody's using the serial comma. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at AP, which is really um pervasive in what people are seeing in sort of like day-to-day written word, mm-hmm. it's not using the Oxford comma. And so my yeah. argument is like, AP isn't God just because it's the way newspapers are written and people read newspapers every day. Yep. Um. So yeah, okay. I I agree with you. Talk about M dashes. Okay, so M dashes. I'm less concerned about explaining, mm-hmm. except that to say there are two kinds of dashes: M dashes and N dashes. M dashes hypothetically are supposed to be the width of a capital M in that font. N dashes mm-hmm. hypothetically are supposed supposed to be the width of a capital N in whatever font you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my problem. <laughs> M dashes are what you think of when you think of a dash, not a hyphen, which is a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, M dashes are what people think of in terms of like you're separating something for emphasis. Mm-hmm. Will, who was six feet four inches tall. Mm-hmm. You know, M dash, M dash on each side of that. Right. Uh, reached to the highest shelf and still could not reach the mm-hmm. cookie jar. Okay. So in that sentence, the dashes are providing emphasis. Like you right. are so tall and yet you still couldn't reach this jar. Mm-hmm. That's really, we don't really need to talk about how M dashes are used. They're, they have rules, of course, but they're largely used for emphasis and mm-hmm. they're used cre- quite creatively. Yep. My problem is with N dashes because yep. nobody knows what a goddamn N dash is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what an N dash is? Do you know what its only purpose is? Uh, between numbers? Yes. So it's a little bit more um, inclusive than even that. Inclusive mm-hmm. is an important word. It indicates a range of inclusive numbers. Yep. A range. And so the, re- the reason I say it's not just between numbers is because K through 12 – yeah. Kindergarten through 12th grade. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not technically a number, but it's yeah. a range. Yep. Um, you know, dates, uh, times, uh, mm-hmm. all of these should have N dashes. Yep. And this drives me bananas because nobody knows what an N dash is. And so they put hyphens. <laughs> and the, and both of these things are, yes, different from hyphens. Yes. And the definition of a hyphen is it's the punctuation mark that people mean when they say dash. Yes. Yes. And on top of this, this was something that made me want to scream. Mm-hmm. I had a friend once. I knew a person mm-hmm. who shall remain unnamed and genderless <laughs> who said to me once, I was editing something for them. And I said, you know, you're using a lot of N dashes here. These should all be M dashes. Mm-hmm. It was in a piece of prose. Yep. And this person said to me, I don't like the way M dashes look. Mm. And this made me very mad (laughs) (laughs) because I was like, 
It wasn't, I suppose, hypothetically, if you don't like the way they look and you want to creatively use an N dash instead of an M dash, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was a piece of prose. It was somewhat standard. It wasn't mm-hmm. otherwise being like edgy in its use of mm. punctuation. It right. just would have looked wrong. It just would yes. have looked like the person didn't understand right. what they were doing. Yes. Uh, this person did not heed as they never heeded my advice. <laughs> yeah, that's a fine line. Uh, especially, yeah, if you are reading someone's creative work rather mm-hmm. than uh, 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 something that is, uh, you know, something that is written to be art or entertainment rather than yes. something that is written for a more... Uh, work uh, context, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anything might be a creative choice, right? Right. And I did not understand that, nor was I made to understand that uh-huh. throughout four years of being a creative writing major. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you have a, a, another one you want to go into or should we trade off? Uh, I think we can trade off. I have, okay. so I have... Uh, Two more main ones that I want to talk about. Okay. Here's They're my both pretty ma- short, though. Here's my main one. Okay. This is the main one that I've been hung up on for a little while now, but okay. that I am currently still the most hung up on. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's indicative of the what I see as the overall trend mm-hmm. of how language changes. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. If if the natural you know progression of like everything say like matter yeah. is is uh, entropy is uh-huh. like falling apart uh-huh. like the equivalent of that in language is that like things just get simpler uh-huh. like we just c- keep cutting corners <clears throat> and okay. like ironing out rough edges so that like there's fewer hurdles to jump over. Uh-huh. So it's like more accessible and more streamlined and more consistent. Mm-hmm. So things that are exceptions to rules, they get forgotten about. Right. And okay. they get replaced with the more obvious version. Uh-huh. So um, <clears throat> uh, do you know what I mean when I say uh, a, a relative pronoun? Oh, um. I should. I'm sure as soon as you say it, I'll know what you mean. Okay, so I'm going to do like a little Matryoshka doll sort of defining thing. Okay. It's like a relative pronoun starts a relative clause. What's a relative clause? Um, A relative clause is a type of clause that acts like an adjective. Okay. What's a clause? A clause is a phrase with a verb in it. Yes. What's a phrase? A phrase is a group of words. Uh-huh. So any group of words is a phrase. Okay. If 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 a phrase has a verb in it, it's a clause. Uh-huh. If it has a subject and a verb, it's an independent clause. Yes. If it has a verb and no subject, it's a dependent clause. Mm-hmm. One type of dependent clause is a relative clause. Mm-hmm. And a relative clause so, is so named because it, it relates to a noun that it's describing. Okay. Sort of like an adjective does. Uh-huh. So uh, we have, I think, you know, I'm talking like I'm an expert, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that's the theme of this show, right? Is that we're, we're <laughs> lovers, not yes. experts. Yes. 
Uh, that's from the James Bonding podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, from from my position uh, as a non-expert, I believe that we have two relative pronouns. Okay. That and who. Uh-huh. So, for example, the store that I went to was oh, yes. Trader Joe's. Wait, what about which? Um, yeah, I guess which is the third. Okay. Um, so that I went to uh-huh. is a relative clause. Okay. It describes the word store. Mm-hmm. Yes. The person who I saw uh-huh. at Trader Joe's was my friend Liz. Oh, this is a nice world. Who I saw at Trader Joe's is a relative clause. It describes person. Yes. I used who there. Because I'm because a person. The, because you're a person. Uh-huh. My pet peeve is uh-huh. who as a relative pronoun uh-huh. has disappeared. Oh. Everyone uses that uh-huh. all the time. Uh-huh. Even when it's a person. The person that I saw at the store. Uh-huh. Get you somebody that can do both. <laughs> right? Like uh-huh. It, it, it drives me crazy. <laughs> Can I say, let me, okay, so let me say a few things. The first is that I brought up which, and I think that that's actually wrong. And I think that Claire, uh, hello, Claire, I know you're listening still, um, is going to be mad at me because she's my boss and she made me, because I don't care about the difference between which and that. And mm-hmm. um, I, which will always get a comma and that won't. And so I think which it has to do with restrictive and non-restrictive clauses. She made me learn this, and so I probably misspoke here. I don't think which is necessarily a relative pronoun. Um, but but we do definitely this, use I definitely see who. the similarity. Yes. We do definitely use who, um, and this is something because then we start getting into arguments at work sometimes about, um, or we have in the past anyway, about um, using who for companies in sentences ah interesting and uh corporations are people liz they're not though (laughs) (laughs) is the conclusion we've come to so the question remains is mitt romney a person (laughs) i mean i think that's a question regardless of grammar his name's mitt (laughs) the fuck kind of name is that that's a good argument for is him not short, being a person. Is it short for Mitten? That's, <laughs> that's exhibit, what I always wanted to know. That's exhibit A. Mitten's Romney. He's actually a cat. And I just want to point out the uh, reason that I'm tuned into this relative pronoun and the reason I was able to give you that description of relative clauses uh-huh. is because this was like the first lesson that I got in Old English. Oh. Speaking of grad school, as I was uh-huh. before, yes. the grad school program that I went to had a language requirement that my undergrad language requirement did not fulfill. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the uh, English faculty had started teaching Old English as an elective, mm-hmm. and then it became sort of a popular alternative in the department to for graduate students who had to fulfill the university's language requirement uh sort of of like how when we were in undergrad carla my carla kelsey my my mother poet and my advisor at one point said to me um 
poets like to take logic as their math class? Mm-hmm, and I was like, mm-hmm. I took calc too. I can take math. And then I ended up yeah. not having to take a math, but I understand That's what nice. you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so for that reason, I took one year of old English. It is the last. One year uh, or one semester? One year. Wow. Okay. I did. Uh, okay. I'm just, you know. This is where I might say not to brag, but mm-hmm. you know what? I am bragging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did so well in the first semester that in the spring semester, I was uh, brought into a more advanced uh, uh, group studying wow, Old English. Look yes. at you. It was, it was one of my last uh, academic experiences and one, just one of the things that I thrived at the most. You know, I mean, if you hadn't been with Dana already, that's definitely how you would have gotten yourself a girlfriend. I yeah, I I <laughs> I can actually picture that scenario. <laughs> and uh, uh, part part of the reason that I thrived at it was my willingness to just question every word that I was trying to translate and mm-hmm. stop what I was doing to look it up in the back of the book. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I once looked up the letter A with a line over it, uh-huh. and I was vindicated. Oh, because the glossary defined that mm-hmm. as forever. Oh my god! Yeah, the, the letter A <laughs> with a line over it so that it's pronounced ah. I think, ah. if I remember correctly, in that context, it meant forever. Forever. Uh, nobody else <laughs> looked it up. <laughs> they <laughs> they just were like, it... I know that article. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, your your turn. Do you have one you want to... Uh... So this is one of my ones that is um, uh, not exactly grammar related, but relates to my job, which is font. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, um, so please, please, br- please bring up this Word document I've sent to you. I'm so, bringing it up on my phone right now. Right. If you work in an office, more likely than not, you are using Microsoft Outlook for your email. And more likely than not, unless you are me, you have ch- your font is defaulted to Calibri. Yep. Calibri is a terrible font and nobody should use it. And this is one of the, uh, this is a separate item on our Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. Well, I've, that you I'm, com- put there. I'm combining these. You're all rolling together. it in. Yes. Yes. So Calibri, why does everybody use Calibri? Do you know this? I uh, only because I mean when I when when I was first using Microsoft Word the thing was Times New Roman yes and then at some point some version of Word made the default to Calibri. well I can tell you exactly what version it was it was the Microsoft Vi- uh, Windows Vista Microsoft yes. 2007 that came out in 2007 the so infamous- this was. Windows Vista. Yes, the infamous Windows Vista, which came out, if you'll remember, so because I am a year older than you, mm-hmm. um, it came out when I was a freshman in college. So yes, before, I remember being a senior in high school and that yes. happening. And so I just bought a new computer and now suddenly everything's in Calibri. Previous to this, everything was in uh, Times New Roman and Arial was the sort of standard sans serif font. To use. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know the difference between a serif and a sans serif font? I sh- I should. I think that it is. Uh, I can't remember which is which, but one of them, I think, every character is the same width. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. 
You're thinking of un- uh, mon- monotype. Okay. I think. Um, which is like typewriter, where everything yes. is the same width. Yes. And everything takes up like a, a block of space. Yes. Whereas now we have computers and word processors that can adjust the kerning so they don't need to take up the exact same amount of space. Kerning okay. being the space between letters. Okay. Learning a lot here. Thank you. Um, serifs are those little tabs on letters. So okay. like in Times New Roman, if you look at a T, it's got like a little like boop boop on each uh-huh. side, a little boop right. boop at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. But if you look at the T in Arial, it's just mm-hmm. like a line and a line. Yes. Serif fonts are considered a little bit fancier. Some yes. people argue, though there's not very much scientific evidence to back this up, that sans serif fonts are easier to read on computers because okay. the serifs don't necessarily translate to the pixels. Gotcha. Um, but in print, hypothetically, it's easier and to read uh, serifed fonts because the, yeah. pic- the serifs, the idea, though the science isn't necessarily there, um, are easier to read across. They create sort of lines for you to read mm-hmm. across. Okay, but here's my problem with Calibri versus Arial. Calibri is short, short, and fuzzy. It, Calibri is a sans serif font. Calibri correct? and Arial are both sans serif fonts, and I'm so using- when Word switched from Times New Roman to Calibri, they went from a serif to a sans serif font yes. as the default. Yes. Interesting. So and is that not- is that is that if it. it is that a reflection of like the assumption used to be that like if you're writing something, it's going to be in print. And then by the time Vista and that new version of Word came around, like we had gotten over that assumption. So I can't speak of this with complete like scientific empirical evidence and historis- historical backing. But I believe that the shift, because the other shift that happened with Windows Vista the, to, the, and with Microsoft 2007 was mm-hmm. when you went into a Word document, the default was to have after spacing. Oh. And after spacing means that when you hit a hard enter, a hard return, mm-hmm. um, you would get a little bit of extra space between your lines as opposed to if your text was word wrapping. Uh-huh. And what is a place where you see this all of the time? Blogs. Blogs. So instead of having Never everything... Never heard s- of them. <laughs> so instead that of having... A, that's a, that is a joke based on the fact that I started blogging when I was 13 years old. Yes, I had a Diaryland when I was... A Diaryland blog that I started when I was 13 years old. I briefly had a blog spot... And then I had a type pad, which Uh I still have today. Oh, right. Though though it is not used for blogging purposes. Uh Uh Um, So, yes, I believe that the rise of the blog, I mean, blogs, blog is almost Terminator rise of the blog. (laughs) It's almost like an outdated term now. Mm -hmm. Not really outdated, but people don't really blog anymore. 2007 was definitely like the height of the blog. I'm sure it's a very small percentage of people who use the word blog who could tell you that it is short for web log. Web log, yes. And so both of these things, I think, was sort of nodding to the fact that hypothetically people are using word processing to blog, which is like not true, but whatever. Um, so look at the uh, document that I've sent you. I'm looking at it. And what is something you notice between – so the first line there is in Arial. The second mm-hmm. line, I have some letters, A, B, T, I, L. 
Yep. Um, I have them repeated. The first line's in Ariel, the second's in Calibri. Can you tell me something that you're noticing here? They're both in the same size. They're both in size uh, 72 up here. All right. Okay. Yeah. So despite being the same font size, these letters on the second line are smaller. It mm-hmm. looks, the way that you've arranged it, it looks as if I am taking an eyesight test. Yes. Which I would ace, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Mr. No Glasses Man. My vision is better than 2020. Did You're, you know that? I hate you. It's true. It's like 2015 <laughs> oh, or something God. like that. Um, you heard it here, folks. My vision is 2000 and light. Will, <laughs> Will has got his eye on you. Yeah. Um, if you so were 20 it, feet away from me, I can... <laughs> See you observe as clearly, you as well as you as if you were fifteen feet away from me. Yes, um, and and you are right now. Look behind you. Oh no! Uh, surprise. Um, so the so yes, it's smaller. It's shorter. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, look at the edges of each of the corners of the letters. Yes. What's the difference between the two? It might be easier. I also have two T's next to each other below this. The first one is Ariel. The second one is Calibri. Um, the uh, Ariel, uh, the corners are sharper on the yes. Ariel. Yes. They so, are more rounded in the Calibri. So this is doing two things for this font, which mm-hmm. I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is that um, Ariel is... Taking up space in a way that makes more sense based on what we understand to be font size. Mm -hmm. The second is that, again, with pixels, right? Because we're viewing most things on screens. The Mm -hmm. sharp edges are easier to read. The round edges, the smaller they get, start looking fuzzy. Mm -hmm. So scroll down to where I have hello. And I have hello written in size 12 font for both of these. Yep. And which one is crisper to you? The first one, which is in Arial. Yes, it is, because I'm correct. And Calibri's a trash font. Um, (laughs) Yes, the first one, it's slightly bigger. And it's not that it's bigger. It's that it's utilizing the space in a better way. Mm -hmm. The corners are sharp. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier. It doesn't look fuzzy because when you because most things that you're reading on a computer if you're mm-hmm. sending emails or whatever are yeah. going to be in size 12 font and so right. when you have calibri in size 12 font which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do mm-hmm. it looks smaller and because it's small it also ends up looking fuzzy and so it looks out of focus mm-hmm. Arial, crisp clean it's available everywhere it's not like anybody's it's not like people are going to be like but Arial's a niche font no it's not mm-hmm. ariel has been around for longer than calibri um, I read on the Wikipedia today that the person who created, uh, whose name was, uh, uh, Luke de Groot, <laughs> um, wanted, or Lucas de Groot, but Luke, the A-S was in parentheses, um, wanted to create a font that was, uh, having a warm and soft character. Well, yes, it looks fuzzy. Something that is warm and soft is fuzzy, and that's what your font looks like, and that's not what I want in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I bring this up is because 
Um, everybody uses this as a font because it's the default and nobody cares about fonts except for me and mm. typesetters and graphic mm. designers and maybe you a little bit. And, sure. um, it's a trash font and it's hard to read. It doesn't look good. It just looks gross. And people just really need to go into there and people will say to me, but Calibri's everywhere. Yeah. Cause it's the default, not cause anybody likes it. Mm hmm. Like, You're cracking this conspiracy wide open. I hate it. And so Microsoft is in the pocket of big Calibri. One of my greatest uh accomplishments at work. Mm-hmm. Claire's gonna Claire's rolling her eyes are rolled mm-hmm, out of mm-hmm. her head at this point. Yeah. Um, is that I found a document because we were using Calibri for internal documents, whatever. Yeah. I found a document that was a from a from Corpcom. That said that the acceptable fonts, it had like the like purchased fonts that we don't have access to for desktop publishing were Arial and Times. Technically not Times New Roman, but those are very, very similar to one another. All right. And I said, thank God, I Mm -hmm. never have to use Calibri in an official document ever again because I'm not supposed to. I have to follow. This is, this is a time where I was happy about the rules. I was like, I have to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And lo, I I think a month later changed this one report that was like an annual report from being completely in Calibri to being in Arial. Nice. No repercussions. Small victories. So All that's right. my story about that. We're starting to be up against the clock. Do you want to keep doing the trade-off or do you want me to go through some of mine rapid fire? I have one, I have one more that I'm going to do and it's a tip actually. Okay. Turn um, on your paragraph markers. Okay. Okay. Your paragraph markers, the way you do this is you need to click on the pill crow. The pill crow is in that home ribbon. It looks like a backwards P with an extra line. Yeah. This will show you all of your spaces, all of the hidden formatting. If you are editing things and you're like, this is all breaking. I don't understand what's happening. It -hmm. might still not be totally great if you're starting to use things like styles, which are terrible and I hate them, um, because they break word. Um, but I think you should just have your, or your paragraph markers on at all times mm-hmm. uh, because I think it reduces errors and because you might say, hey, it looked really messy. Well, you'll get over it. That's my tip. Good tip. Okay, so if my last one, my main pet peeve was about uh, who mm-hmm. disappearing from relative clauses. Yes. So here are more things that are disappearing and it bothers me to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um. Irregular past participles are disappearing. Oh, what are those? So basically, uh, a verb has, uh, you know, it's like regular form and then a past tense form and then a past participle. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, the norm is the past and the past participle form are the same. Uh But there are irregular verbs where the past participle is different mm-hmm. and people are ignoring that. Can you give me an example? So, so, uh, a, 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 a stand, j- j- just give me any verb. Dream. So, oh, okay. <laughs> that, I think that's an irregular one. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Great. Yeah. So, uh, oh. so dream past tense is d- dreamed. Past participle is dreamt. Okay. Or maybe the past tense is dreamt. I don't know. That's, I don't. I don't know what. What? Oh well, the, I know. I gave you a bad one because I was. That's what I was thinking of. I don't know what your Webster New Collegiate Dictionary would say about that one. But um, how about um, 
Love. So, okay, yeah. So love, past tense, loved, past participle, loved. Mm-hmm. I love you. I loved you. I have loved you. Have I will. Lo- yes. <laughs> you you got me. <laughs> I say it all the time. So I it's know not you like do. You- it's not like a surprise. Yeah. So um have loved. That's uh-huh. that's the time when you use the past participle, right? Okay. Have loved, mm-hmm. had loved. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, there are some words that are so common mm-hmm. that as irregular as they are, those irregularities are going to be preserved because we use them all the time. Okay. So like to be is like the wackiest, most irregular it's, verb. And is in every language that I've encountered it in. Right. But it's it's the most common thing mm-hmm. in language. So we can, you know, learn those rules and remember them well. Yeah. Another common verb is is go. So right. like go, went, that's uh-huh. weird. Gone. <laughs> Yo, okay. I had gone. Yeah. I went, I had gone. I had goed. I had but, went. But, but some people do say I had went. No, exactly. No. Well, some do. Like, yeah, like I that's less common but say like there are some verbs where the irregularity is that instead of the past participle being the same as the past Uh it's the same as as the the regular the the first version so like i run i ran i had run (gasps) i was gonna give run as example and i knew that it was gonna get weird so i didn't right no but that's the i think the best example i can think of of what i'm talking about People have started to say, I had ran. Oh. I think, I think that this is pretty, this is becoming pretty common. Yeah, that makes sense. To the point where, like, I think that that's going to be, like, acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like, even in, like, a gatekeeping context, like, that's going to become more and more the norm. So, so now, does this bother you because not, I, I'm a, I'm assuming it's not like a correct part of it that's bothering you. Is it bothering you because you like these irregular forms and you think there's like a beauty to them and we're losing them? It's more like I just accidentally trained my brain throughout my entire upbringing (laughs) to have an autonomic response to when people are wrong. To right, when okay. people are breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And so my it just triggers this mechanism in my mm-hmm. brain that goes like, ah, caught you. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a hard time turning that off and a hard time ignoring it. It's impossible to turn off. It's hard to ignore. Yeah. Um, another thing that's uh, disappearing. Uh, so the, the word fewer is gone. Oh, no, yeah. Nobody, As we learned from my abortion episode. <laughs> Right. Um, so it, it, the, the way I feel, the way that you feel about semicolons, that's how I feel about this. Oh, okay. It's so simple. Here's how uh-huh. simple it is. Yeah. More commonly, uh-huh. you might use the word more or much. Mm-hmm. You know when to use more mm-hmm. and when to use much. Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. If you can understand that distinction... You understand the distinction between less and fewer. Uh-huh. Same goes for the difference between amount and number. Uh-huh. The word number is disappearing. Oh, yeah. Because everybody uses the word amount 
when it would be quote unquote correct to use number. The difference in all of these cases is, is the noun a quantifiable thing or not? Yes. Can you count the number or is it more of like an abstract concept? Right. So like you would, you would say like, uh, you know, uh, more, uh, you would, you would say, you would say that there's less sand, uh-huh. but fewer grains of sand. Right. You would refer to the amount of sand at the beach, mm-hmm. but you would refer to the number of grains of sand at yes. the beach if they were countable. Do you know why I why this doesn't bother me? Mm-hmm. Because nobody ever corrected me on it. Yeah. And this is also my problem with that and which. And this is also my problem with passive voice. I guess I just didn't write in passive voice to the point that I didn't know what it was until I was in grad school. Because I, nobody I must I must have just not been naturally writing in it, so I never got sort of like taught what it was because nobody ever said like, hey, you're doing this thing that you want to avoid in a you, lot of cases. You want to talk about like being a gatekeeper and being an editor and like my autonomic response and like my you know superiority complex or uh-huh. or uh, you know I've been certainly perceived that way by others. Um I uh one summer in college I had an editorial internship uh-huh. at a uh big business that made headlines that summer uh-huh. in Manhattan. Yes. And on my first day, I talked to the editor who I was going to be working underneath. Mm-hmm. And he was not quizzing me, but he was just like, you know, in a friendly way asking like how much I understood, like how was I going to, how good was I going to be at this? And he was in a throw off kind of way. He was like, you know, it, it's not that complicated as long as you know the basics, like you understand like the difference between like active tense and passive tense. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. And this guy was a professional. Uh-huh. And yep. I just nodded my head and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh. I understand those. That place well, that you worked, I now have to look at their website sometimes to figure things out for my job. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously what was going on in my head was uh, active and passive are not tenses, they're <laughs> voices. Yes. Every verb has a certain uh, number of qualities. It has a tense, a voice, a number, a and a mood. A mood. And I think there's a fifth one that I'm forgetting right now. <sighs> oh, a person. A person. Uh-huh. Every verb has person, number, tense, voice, and mood. <laughs> uh, these are the things that I think about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, uh, more more examples. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, nobody spells uh, the past tense of lead correctly. Nope. Uh, it's lead. Uh, everybody spells it like the metal, mm-hmm. which is spelled just like lead. Mm-hmm. But the past tense of lead is lead, which is spelled L-E-D. L-E-D. Mm-hmm. Just like that light. Um, a big pet peeve of mine is where people u- where people place the word only. Mm-hmm. And I should have come up with a good example of this because it's going to be hard to create one um, <laughs> on the fly. But um, it... People, 
it's like it's just like understood what they what they mean when they say like i don't know when when would you use the word only like um i only talk to you on skype yes i talk to you only on skype right exactly yes i talk to you on skype only perfect example so like most people would write i only talk to you on skype Mm mm-hmm and you under, you you intuitively understand that what they mean is the only way I talk to you is via Skype. Yes. But what they actually said is when we're Skyping, the only thing I do is talk to you. <laughs> I only talk to you uh-huh. on Skype. Uh-huh. My eyes are closed. More precise would be to say I talk to you only on Skype uh-huh. or on Skype only. Okay, um, moving on. Um, uh, each, either, and neither are singular. Uh-huh. So you would not say each of them are. You would say each of them is. Yes. No, this is something we actually have to deal with at work a lot. Yeah. Um, I do not like it when people spell okay, lowercase o, letter case k. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. AP that, actually says that it's okay, uppercase, don't use okay, A-Y. Yeah. I, my, what I do is I mostly spell out okay, A-Y. Uh-huh. Or sometimes I do uppercase O, uppercase K. Uh-huh. But if I see lowercase O, lowercase K, uh, that is awk. <laughs> that, that spells awk. Uh-huh. Um, comprised of... Yeah, what is this one? Is never correct. (laughs) Uh, Don't ever use comprised of. Why? It's just wrong. Why? It doesn't make any sense. But like this, this. um... Here's what comprise means. Okay. The parts comprise the whole. Uh-huh. But. People hardly ever use it that way. They almost always use the passive voice Uh to say that the whole is comprised of the parts. When you could just as easily say the parts comprise the whole or the whole consists of the parts. Mm, I see. I see. Yes. Comprise is not a word I use very often. I would even... I would even find it more acceptable if you said the 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 whole is comprised by the parts okay because that's generally how the passive voice usually works i see is that something is verbed by uh-huh not verbed of uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. um okay uh and also there's some guy who has made it his mission to just expunge all wikipedia entries of the phrase is comprised of I mean, every time I hear about somebody like that, I'm like, "There, but for the grace of God, go I." Like, <laughs> that's that's what I think of. I just think, God, that's sort of me. I've yes. started tweeting at people who don't freeze their tofu, but also like, <laughs> who are you? Right. Um, whom is totally dead? R.I.P. Whom? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't care about that one. Okay. I would be a fool to care about that. Uh-huh. Um, ending a clause with a prop with a preposition, totally fine. Uh-huh. Go nuts. 
Yes. If you, if you don't know what that means, here is an example I just thought of. <laughs> there, I did it. <laughs> and there is no sense in rearranging that sentence to be, here. here's an example of which I just thought. Yes. That's, no, no one wants to sound like that. Yes. Not even job interviewers expect you to sound like that. Yes. Um, the other thing that's also fine is um, split infinitives. Oh, yes. Uh, 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 you know, the most probably the most famous uh, split infinitive is from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It is to boldly go. Right. And the infinitive form of a verb is to verb. That's how that's yes. how it works in English. Um, that's one of the moods, uh, that I was talking about earlier. Uh-huh. Infinitive is a mood. A mood. And, um, uh, do you know why, uh, it is a, a, uh, common rule that it, it, that split infinitives are not okay? Um, I, uh, no, I mean, I guess I just thought it was because like you wanted to like maintain the, in- like quote unquote integrity of the verb. By you, by keeping it together, because it's like the verb is a unit, so you don't want to split the unit in half. Is I my learned, guess. I learned in grad school that that rule is an old rule written long ago by old white men. Uh huh. As they who, do. Who were writing, you know, who were, you know, codifying the rules of the English language. Mm hmm. And they were obsessed, as old white men often are, with the classics. Ah. And they were basing rules for our language on old languages, like Latin. Okay, yeah, uh uh-huh. Where the infinitive form of a verb is not two verb, it's still one word. Ah. It's it's like, it's like, uh, venire. Or something like that would be to go, if I remember my Latin correctly. It's one word. <laughs> okay, yeah. So you couldn't insert an adverb into an infinitive verb in Latin. Okay, yeah, that's because a that would be reason. sticking. We just have a word. different language. Yeah, we exactly. just have a different language. It's fine. Exactly. Which is wh- yeah, which is why it's totally fine to use a split infinitive. There's yes. no, there's it's totally arbitrary. It's based on a different language, and also it doesn't create confusion, right? So like, right. No, this is exactly. the the point of language is to be able to communicate what you mean. This exactly. is why it's useful to have sets of rules because, right. and also genre, which we talked about in the Ruby Core episode, because. Those rules help us understand what somebody means. But this is never hindering somebody understanding what you mean. Yes, exactly. Um, I had something here that is not written on this list that I'm wishing that it was. And I was thinking of it before and now I can't remember it. it something mm. on this list reminded me looking at the first thing on the list is Oxford commas. The second thing on the list is comprised of there's something that that made me think of before. Hopefully, I mean, we should wrap this up yeah. ASAP, but hopefully before we stop recording, um, I'll remember what that was. Um, I'll throw in one more thing and then you can do the cheeseburger thing and we'll okay. wrap it up. I'll be real quick with the cheeseburger thing. This is a, this is a wish list. This is, okay. this is a one item wish list. Okay. The, the one item on my wish list is they is. They is, they is, they is. Yes. Thank you, Tobias Wolf. Uh, I'm not <laughs> I hate go- that story. I'm not going to campaign for this uh-huh. because there would be no point. 
Yes. I'm, I'm not. Because we no- didn't do it with ye- We didn't do it with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We have, yes. The word we ha- you. We have you are mm-hmm. for both plural you and singular you. Yes. And you could say, well, that doesn't create any confusion. But it does because then but we it, end up saying y'all. Exactly. That's the reason why we have y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's 2019 and rightfully so. They as a singular pronoun. Mm-hmm. Is becoming more widely used. Mm-hmm. Are you referring to individuals using they, or are you referring to the singular they, which is to say, like a candidate will receive their score report, um, where there's most, only one candidate, but we don't know if the gender of the candidate, so we're using they. I'm referring to both, but I'm okay. mostly referring to w- in individuals. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. But in any context, uh-huh. I just, I wish uh-huh. for clarity of meaning okay. that it were the norm that if you're using a singular they, you use the singular form of the verb to go with it. Okay. So if your preferred pronoun was they, uh-huh. and I was talking about you in the third person, I yes. would say, they is my pod husband. Yes. I'd I say, wish that that were accepted and normal and didn't sound weird. <laughs> and end of wish list. Okay. Okay. What's and the- I also want to point out very quickly that with the you thing that I brought up, we did have a, a you. We had a singular you and a, and a plural you that were two different. We had ye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, we I, were like, let's get rid of this and use just you for everything. Do I need to brag about my old English study some more? Yeah. Like- <laughs> You're not telling me anything that I don't know. I'm not telling you. I'm telling our lovely goslings. Okay. Well, maybe I just wanted to brag. Okay. So here's our last thing. This is this is like a smug thing that's related to language, but isn't totally uh, grammar related. And it's also uh, not something of ours. There's this great op-ed by this man, Phil Cadner, about uh, cheeseburgers. And it starts – I'm not going to read the whole thing. It starts, a hamburger does not have cheese. A hamburger with cheese is called a cheeseburger, and you shouldn't have to pay for cheese if all you want is a hamburger. Two McDonald's customers in Florida have filed a $5 million lawsuit against McDonald's in federal court to make this point, and I applaud their courage. And this dude talks about how he has been, like, arguing with poor waiters for years about this. He would say things, he said, people who want cheese on the hamburger should be forced to say, I want a cheeseburger. I should not be required to say, I want a hamburger, no cheese, or even answer a question such as, do you want cheese on your hamburger? (laughs) No, I say, because if I wanted cheese, I would have ordered a cheeseburger, which is what you call a hamburger with cheese on it. That's right. And I like love and hate this man for this entire article. Yeah. This his, is exactly what we're talking about here, right? His crusade is is yes, exactly the type of bugaboo that that I would start the a crusade bugaboo. based on, yes. Yes. Well, I think we've we've covered so many pet peeves in this episode and I think we we've learned something. Yeah, we we sure did. <laughs> we 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 really put English in its place. <laughs> And uh, we're going to stop recording, and then in about five minutes, I'm going to (laughs) remember that thing, that thing that is like, oh, yeah, Uh I see see that, and I go like, oh, yeah, that's wrong, and I see it all the time. 
but um, maybe uh, maybe we'll add it to the show notes or maybe it'll uh, be a topic in our next episode. Yeah. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Will. Happy joint episode. Happy same that to you. <laughs> I have uh, loved you. I have loved you. I Bye. have loved you. Bye. <laughs> Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one. And his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram at exclamate underscore on Twitter or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>